everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Amos Grunendijk. The rest of you, if you didn't bring your Bibles, I hope you did, uh, but you can grab them off the back cart. Uh, This is going to be another one of those Sundays where I would encourage you to circle things, underline things. Even if you're borrowing a Bible, it will help you kind of see the main themes and what we're doing. Of course, I left my pen. Can someone throw me a pen? We'll see how this goes. Thank you. Um, And you can open up to Galatians chapter 5. Page numbers up there if you're using one of the Bibles you grabbed in the back. We're reading this passage alongside this book called Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. And I should have warned you. I should have warned you that this book will probably offend most of us at some point. Because almost all of us have deeply embedded beliefs, dreams, and political convictions that are not congruent with the character and design of God. I also should have warned you about this book. Because at some point when you read this book, it's going to deeply offend you. Because most of us have deeply held beliefs, desires, and political convictions that are incongruent with the character and design of God. I'm not trying to elevate these two and put them on the same plane. Obviously, what John Mark Comer is trying to do is apply contextually what Jesus teaches and what the Bible is truth is like the the truth that is in the Bible. Um, But I just, I found this to be really helpful. And I'll say, I I read a few things and I was like, ooh, that's sharp. I I gotta reconsider a few of my political beliefs, my convictions, my desires. And so I, I hope you guys get this book. If you haven't bought it yet, I have a few extra copies. Come talk to me after the service. That's an offer for a free book. Um, but hopefully you're in Galatians by now. Uh, I want to, can you jump to the next slide a second? I want to read this. Oh, shoot. Next slide and then the next slide. Keep going. Nope, not that one. This one. (laughs) I read this last week, um, and I just want to repeat it this week because it's going to help frame the series. John John Mark Comer says, The working theory of the devil's strategy is that deceitful ideas, that was last week, play to disordered desires, that's this week, that are normalized in a sinful society. And so the three enemies of our soul are the devil, the flesh, and the world. And if you can put up that slide where it has those three plus the, the, uh, there we go. This is all my fault. Uh, There's... There's enemies, but then there are also like 
points of theology or like the doctrines about Jesus, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit this week is what runs contrary to the flesh. And the kingdom of God is, you might say, the answer to the kingdom of this world. But we've been doing spiritual disciplines alongside each of these topics, uh, spiritual practices, if you will, that you could do at home by yourself, but there's something significant about doing them in community. So last week we I mean, we renounced the devil, not just in the negative sense, but we proclaimed truth. Uh, this week, we're going to have a time of confession and then communion during the worship set. And next week, we'll pray the Lord's Prayer. So let's pray uh, and read from Galatians chapter 5. Come, Holy Spirit. We ask that you would rest on us, on us as we hear your word, that you would stir in us um, that you would do the work of transformation. So God, open up our ears and open up our hearts. Uh, stand between me and all everybody who's listening to just help translate and, and emphasize what's true. And if I say anything that's not true, may it be forgotten. But God, we look to you as the foundation of all things. And we proclaim you as king. And so we submit ourselves, our very desires, our loves and our dreams to your will. Amen. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Galatia. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. And this first time through, what we're going to do is we're going to draw a box around every time you see the word sinful nature and a circle around every time you see spirit or Holy Spirit. Sinful nature here in the Greek is sarx, or a better or a more literal translation in English would be flesh. So when we talk about the devil, the flesh, and the world, um, this translation expresses that as sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Should be circling Holy Spirit. And then notice, like, notice the verb, too, that gets attached to each of these. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature, box around that, craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is opposite to what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your own good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are no longer under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, 
or flesh, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Now I'm going to jump down to chapter 6, verse 7, not because verses 1 through 6 aren't good, uh, but he sort of, he picks up this spirit flesh idea later in the middle there of chapter 6. So chapter 6, verse 7, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. You did a lot of circling and box drawing, I hope. Uh, I'm probably going to overuse uh, illustrations from my three-year-old today, but there's just been, some of it's been too good. And uh, I actually talk, I think I talk about the flesh quite a bit. So in a minute, I'm actually going to read a pretty long section from John Mark Comer's book because you've heard my words about it over the last three to six months. Um, but I think he gives some fresh perspective. But anyway, so in thinking about the war of the flesh and the spirit, um, my, my three-year-old daughter uh, is got a lot of emotion and desire and passion. The flesh is at work in my three-year-old. Let me tell you, and uh, you know, we, we really do our best to try to get her to express what she's feeling. So this was a few weeks ago now, but I say, Isla, what are you feeling? She says, I'm not mad, and I'm not sad, and I'm not happy anymore. You know what you call that, don't you? It's denial. <laughs> so, so we do this too sometimes. Uh, Galatians chapter 5 actually talks about a constant fight 
between the flesh and the spirit. If you look there at verse 17, just maybe underline the words constant fighting. And, and many of us want to pretend like it's not happening, uh, but everybody else can see it. It was very clear to me what my daughter was feeling, but she pretended as if nothing was going on. She repressed or stuffed the truth. Now, uh, this is more recently. We've been really trying to work on her uh, obedience and her, uh, you know, we want her to stay calm and stay connected and stay curious. Um, but she kind of knows when a correction is coming. And uh, she said this like four or five times in the last week. She says, I want to stay just the way I am. <laughs> Which, at least it's honest. <laughs> like, like the first step to repentance is becoming aware uh, that you've uh, sinned or trespassed or gotten off the path, uh, violated the design of God, right? So uh, I want to stay just the way I am. Isn't that kind of true of all of us too? Like, we don't want to change typically because we're kind of in a groove. Change takes work. Change can be painful. Change includes taking a, a light and shining it on the dark places of our heart and of our behavior. And that, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty pain avoidant. So I resist the, like, call to repentance, like, in my, in my, in my flesh, like, I don't, I don't want to change because I, I like the way I am on the whole. I don't, you know, I don't necessarily think too much about whether you like the way I am <laughs> or whether my spouse likes the way that I showed up when I'm, like, under stress or anxious or depressed. But I like, I like you know, sometimes I like moping around the house and watching Netflix. Or sometimes, you know, I just like caring for myself. But uh, just, just take that from the mouth of a three-year-old, and notice it about yourself. I want to stay the way I am. But that's not the final word, right? Uh, God is inviting us into a transformed life. Third thing is kind of related to the one I just shared. But So we, we stay, stay calm, stay connected, stay curious. The last time I said that to her, she said, stay mad. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> oh man, she is too sharp. I don't know where she gets it. But uh that's what we want to stay like darkness hates the light. We want to stay right where we are in our anger um in our flesh. Okay, final thing, this just happened yesterday. This is this is where the spirit <laughs> example comes through, okay? So if you have kids, you know that if you're talking to another adult, they will try to get your attention. They'll like, mommy, 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 or daddy, daddy, dad, or like they, they just keep getting louder and louder. And so what you do, uh, if you're a parent, is you say, hang on, I'll talk to you in a minute. I'm in the middle of a conversation. And so uh, <laughs> Allison and I are talking, we're at home, and I turn to look at her and she knows what I'm going to say. So I open my mouth to say, mommy and daddy are talking, just a minute. But before I can say those words, she said, I want you to talk to me. <laughs> I said, okay. Um, you know, mommy and daddy have been talking for a while. Let's talk. I said, how was your day? 
She said, no, I want you to talk to me about kinetic sand. You guys know what kinetic sand is? Uh, if you don't own it, don't buy it. Uh, or buy it, for your, buy it for the grandparents to have at their house, something like that. Because uh, it gets into everything. It's like Play-Doh sand. It's like a, a combination. Anyway, the, the reason, the idea of uh, walking by the Spirit, being guided by the Spirit, um, being directed by the Spirit, uh, pleasing the Spirit, has so much to do with the relational connection to talking with and listening to. And... Uh, being with. What Isla was playing with kinetic sand at the time. She wanted me to do what she was doing. And that also is the invitation of God the Father and of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, as he says in the book of John, like, I only do what I see the Father doing. That's how we crucify the desires of the flesh and live by the Spirit. We stay in constant uh, relationship by listening prayerfully, by reading our Bible, by speaking out our hearts, our desires, our sins, uh, our imperfections, our hurts, our trauma to God. He wants to listen to us and he wants to speak to us. And so now that you've gotten the three-year-old version, um, let's open up, or I'm going to open up. The words are going to be on the screen, although I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read just a little before what I have in my slides, uh, because I just think this is so interesting. So this is from John Mark Comer, Live No Lies. Um, he says, the philosopher Charles Taylor, who's heard of him? I know one person has, two people have, okay. Don't, I mean, he's really hard. I wouldn't recommend him necessarily. But if you read other people who have read him, then you get his smart stuff without the like, I don't know what he's talking about problem. Okay, the philosopher Charles Taylor in his seminal work, A Secular Age, wrote about how the West has changed from a culture of authority to a culture of authenticity, meaning we used to live by what external, external authority structures, like God, the Bible, tradition, or so on, told us to do. But now, most Western people live from what their internal or, quote, authentic self wants to do. The tipping point was Freud. How many of you have heard of him? Come on, everybody has heard of Sigmund Freud. Okay. Philosophy 101. The tipping point was Sigmund Freud. While I'm no psychologist, most of my psychologist friends tell me that savant that he was, Freud got pretty much everything wrong, and yet many of his ideas created the cultural air we now breathe. Uh, according to Augustine, and Augustine is a North African who um, basically was the defining philosopher and theologian for Western culture until pretty recently. According to Augustine, here we go. Now you can read along. The basic problem of the human condition is that of disordered desires or loves. In his view, human beings were, were created in love and for love. So we are lovers first and thinkers second. We live primarily from desire, not our rational minds. And so what happens, of course, is we try to rationalize our desires. Uh, you've, you've had your spouse or your friend do this before. Like, they're doing what they want to do, but then they, they come up with reasons for what they want. Uh, so they, they 
think that they're being rational, but they're actually still being driven by their desires. In the, in, in the Augustinian view, this is the fourth century thinker that I mentioned. I love Augustine. If you've been coming along, you know I, I use him. But in the Augustinian view, the problem of the human condition isn't that we don't love. It's that we love either the wrong things or the right things, but in the wrong order. You've heard me say this before. This isn't new. For example, it's not bad to love your job. I hope you do. But if you love your career more than your teenage son, that's a disordered love and will create major problems for both of you, both you and your child. Another example, it's not bad to love your child, but if you love your child more than you love God, that's disordered and will deform how you relate to both. It's not bad to love sex. God himself created us as sexual beings and commanded us to increase in number. But when sex becomes a pseudo-God that we look for, uh, look to for identity, for belonging in a community, or for life satis satisfaction, when it becomes a soteriology or a doctrine of salvation, let me explain that. If you look for sex for healing of past pain, or freedom from trauma. That's what it means to turn sex into like a mode of salvation. If sex will give me freedom, sex will give me wholeness, sex will heal my hurts. That's soteriology. Uh, those things, of course, are only things that Jesus can do because he is the savior. Uh, when sex becomes a soteriology, as it is for so many in the West, that's a disordered love. And it's not just that it's wrong in the moral sense, it's that it, can it's that it can't possibly satisfy the deeper ache of the soul for love, intimacy, acceptance, and generativity. There's a funny word for, uh, you know, procreation, <laughs> if I've ever heard one. So, uh, I, you know, people used to always ask me if I wanted to have kids. That's the wrong question. The question is, do you want to raise kids? <laughs> I learned that. Anyway, it can't possibly, sex can't be the reason to like raise and love children if you want that to go well. You know what I mean? Uh, after all, the body just wants an orgasm, but the soul wants more. Communion and contribution. So... In the pre-Freud West, human flourishing was about saying yes to the right desires, the higher desires for love, and no to the lower desires, the baser, more appetite kind of desires. And you would navigate your desires by the mental maps that were handed down to you by a trusted but external authority source, ideally Jesus himself. As his teachings come to us through the New Testament in order to not repeat the mistakes of previous generations and to carry forward those generations' cumulative wisdom. After all, you're not the first human to ever live. Why repeat other people's mistakes? Freud's take was radically contrary. For him, our most important desire was our libido, which he defined as our desire not just for sex, but for pleasure as a whole. But because libido without restraint would lead to anarchy, our parents and cultural structures forced us to repress our desire. And for Freud, and this is key, repression of desire is the basis for all neurosis. You guys remember that? Yeah. Translation, the reason you're unhappy is because other people are telling you 
You can't do stuff. That's Freud, not Jesus. It doesn't take a private investigator to work out whose ideas won the fight for the West's view of reality, right? Freud's ideas show up in popular slogans and catchphrases of our day. The heart wants what it wants. Follow your heart. You do you. Speak your truth. And of course, be true to yourself. Anybody remember Shakespeare from the 10th grade? Be true to yourself is a quote from his play Hamlet. The original version was, this above all, to thine own self be true. Anybody remember who said that line? It was Polonius, the fool. It's the fool who encourages us to live by the slogan, be true to yourself. And yet we mouth his mantra like it's gospel. We just assume, remember ideas are assumptions about reality, that the way to a happy, flourishing life is to follow our hearts, which we often misunderstand to be any authentic desire. Happiness has become about feeling good, not being good. The good life has become about getting what we want, not becoming the kind of people who want truly good things. But what's easy to miss in the modern view of things is that our strongest desires are not actually our deepest desires. Let me say that again. Our strongest desires are not actually our deepest desires. What I mean by that is, in the moment of temptation, the raging fire of desire that is your flesh, the desire to make a condescending comment about your coworker, buy another pair of shoes you don't need, overeat, overdrink, lust, ignore God, watch Netflix instead of reading your Bible. Those desires feel overwhelming and almost irresistible, but those desires are not actually the deepest, truest desires of your heart. They don't come from the bedrock layer in your soul. My guess is, if you go deep enough, you ache for God himself, to live in his love, to yield to his gentle peace, to let your body become a place where his will is done, on earth as it is in heaven. That's a gift of the Spirit in you. I heard someone say they love watching Netflix. And uh, it's, actually, it's actually okay to enjoy watching Netflix. It's okay to buy things you need. Sometimes it's okay to buy things you want. The question is, do those loves become greater than your love for God or for other people? Jesus says, you know these words, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so when love for stuff or love for things or love for reputation or love for power uh, eclipse your love for others or your love for God, that's a disordered love. It's, it's outranked what should be in first place. So love God first. And then the other place some of us get in trouble is uh, if you love yourself more, way more than you love your neighbors, of course, that's, that's going to be a self-centered way to live and unfulfilling. But the other thing is if it goes way out of whack and you love your neighbors way more than you love yourself, then you become a codependent. Then you become uh, just, you, you empty yourself out and you burn out. And so Jesus says, I think with great wisdom and kindness and grace, love your neighbor as yourself. So it's good to love yourself, but don't love yourself more than you love your neighbor. Don't love yourself more than you love God first and most of all. And so back to Galatians 5, we're running out of time. This has been happening to me lately. 
the flesh or the sinful nature. This is a battle that we all face that I think is lifelong. We'll be in this battle on this journey until Jesus returns. Uh, the, The message of this passage is actually that Jesus has victory over the flesh, over the sinful nature. Jesus has defeated death and sin and Satan. But in the meantime, before his return, the things that are evil outside and inside of us coexist with the coming kingdom of God. Uh, we, t- we talk about this, the already, the not yet. Uh, but the flesh is, let me just kind of walk this through for you in verse 19. When you follow the desires of your flesh, the results or the works are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, and lustful pleasures. Just put a little line there after that because he groups these outworkings of the flesh. The first three have to do with sexuality. Sexuality is, a main, is talked about a lot in the New Testament because they live in a sexually saturated culture, as do we. And it is one of the things that we often, well, we, we justify our actions d- despite it not being in God's design to have sex outside of like a promise, outside of marriage. The Bible talks about sex like sexual sin in, in basically two ways, adultery and what gets translated often as, as fornication. This is really a fun topic, isn't it? Sorry, kids. You, it's actually good for you to hear this. Uh, adultery is when you have, like if you're married and have sex with someone else, or if the other person is married and you have sex with someone else. Uh, fornication is if you're having sex with someone you're not married to. That's, those are the two definitions. For Jesus ups the ante because it's, he says it's not just about the outward act, it's about the inward heart. It's about uh, actually where, well, let's put it this, this way. We'll just use his words. If you like, look at a, at a person lustfully, it is if you have committed adultery in your heart. So Jesus actually says it's not only about what happens outside, it's what happens inside. Now, of course, Jesus forgives us and loves us, but he also calls us to repentance. The next set, idolatry, sorcery, uh, just the two, draw another line. Those are spiritual sins. So idolatry in a very narrow sense is, you know, the worship of other gods. Sorcery is calling on the power of any spirit that is not the Holy Spirit, calling on any power, any spiritual power that is not from God. Um, The next set, which is much longer, is all about relationships. So when the flesh, when you, if you feed the flesh, if you give the flesh the upper hand, this is the sort of things that will come out of you. Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, divisions, and envy. Draw a line after envy. He then talks about drunkenness and wild parties, which kind of like go together. I would say these are, he's talking about lifestyle, not about I like to go to a party. <laughs> he's talking about, um, well, they're, they're, it's a very specific kind of party he's talking about. Again, 
I guess I won't go there because I know we have a few kids in here. Very specific kind of party. Look it up in a different translation if you want. And other sins like these. So again, this isn't an exhaustive list. These are examples. And we actually, I think we kind of most of us intuitively know like when the flesh is in control, when we've given uh, our heart and desire over to the flesh. You defeat the flesh in two ways here in Galatians 5. First thing is, is that you crucify it. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. And so you take your sin, you take your flesh, you bring it to the cross of Jesus so that he can defeat him. The fruit of the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit. Again, if you just look at what you've circled. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Uh, the Spirit is in opposition to the flesh. The, when you are directed by the Spirit. Then there's the fruit of the Spirit, of course. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the fruit of the Spirit. There are the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is not the same, like the way you acquire the fruit of the Spirit is not the same as willpower or self-control. Self-control is good. Willpower is good. That's listed as one of the fruits. But I think a lot of times when we're trying to be good people, we actually think that the fruit of self-control is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. If we just muster up our willpower, if we try a little harder, then we'll be this way instead of that way. But what Paul is saying here, it's not a matter of willpower, it's a matter of the Spirit's power. And so walk with the Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. If you're making a decision, the Holy Spirit gets a vote. If you're making a decision, the Holy Spirit actually gets the vote. <laughs> if you are thinking about buying a house, consult the Holy Spirit. And he often, I find, will say, you, you can make this choice. Open yourself up to his guidance. He's the boss, so to speak. He's the king. Um, Verse 25, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So we crucify the flesh. That's one. We walk by the Spirit. And how do we do that? Well, in verse 8 of chapter 6, it talks about the concept of sowing and reaping. And so, in part, the idea is, the invitation here is that we starve the flesh when the flesh says, I want what I want, when you, like, say no, ask God for help, and say no, so starve the flesh, but feed the Spirit. You feed the Spirit by or through spiritual disciplines. Again, this is not you transforming your life. This is making space in your life for God's power to come and enter in. So I mentioned reading the Bible. We mentioned prayer. Uh, worship is one of the spiritual disciplines that we invoke. I hope you worship more than just Sunday mornings, but it's something that we do every Sunday morning because it's trying to train our hearts, uh, create space for God's power to move. In the words of James K.A. Smith, 
Worship is not just something we do, it's something that's done to us. And so, in part at least, worship is giving our hearts to something or someone. And when we worship here, we sing, and so we're expressing the fact that we've given our hearts to God by singing. But, you know, we can give our hearts to Netflix, we can give our hearts to Amazon, we can give our hearts to Apple. How many of you are searching uh, about the iPhone 14? You may have given your heart (laughs) to Apple if you're like paying really close attention to what the new Apple phone is going to look like. Um, Worship is not just something we do, it is something that is done to us. And so buying something on Amazon, again, not bad. Just know that it's doing something to us. Watching cable news is not just something we do. It's doing something to us. Scrolling through Facebook, it's not just something we do. Instagram, it's not just something we do. It's something that's being done to us. And so we worship. That's one way that we train our hearts, create room for the Spirit's power. Uh, But the practice of confession which is something the church has done, like, when I, if I say Catholic church, I mean universal church, the church, the big C church, the church across time, the, the gatherings of people who proclaim Jesus as Lord across history and across the world, that is the church. The church has historically created times of confession or ways to confess. And so you, you again, that's something you can do privately, but today we're going to do it publicly as our spiritual discipline, as a way, not, not just as something we do, but as something that is done to us, as a way to give our heart to God, our Father, our Savior, uh, to invite his empowering spirit into our midst. So would you guys stand with me? Um, again, we don't do responsive readings very often here at the Vineyard, but we've been doing them uh, during this series. And so it's pretty straightforward. I'm leading And we're all, so read the all parts. Let's turn our hearts toward God and pray with me. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Now take a moment of silence to ask God to shine a light on your heart. Then imagine nailing your specific sins to the cross of Jesus. In the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we are assured that there is no sin so terrible that God cannot forgive, no hurt so terrible that God cannot heal. God accepts, God forgives, and God sets us free. Receive the forgiving love of God. Thank you, Father. We ask that you fill us with your spirit and empower us to love like Jesus. Amen.
So you guys stay standing. I'm going to invite the worship team forward. I want to remind you that Jesus has the victory. And so to turn toward him, that's what it means to repent, to follow him, to walk day by day, to live filled with grace. So we pray, come Holy Spirit. We pray that you would meet us as we worship. We expect you to speak. Pray that you would guide our thoughts and grab our hearts. Form us. Shape us and transform us. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.